people, you are listening to the voice of David Odejai. I am the host of Half Court Hustle, the basketball podcast that brings you top tier NBA news and analysis. You already know where to find me. Uh, use the handle at Half Court Hustle. Follow me on both Twitter and Instagram. Keep the conversation going. If you agree with what I what I have to say, let me know. If you disagree and you think I'm talking nonsense, let me know. Uh, either way, give me a follow. Uh, reach out to me. Uh, let's get a conversation going. Let's get a dialogue going. Let's talk, man. Let's all talk. Anyway, this week I am excited because it is the beginning of October and that means that basketball is almost back at our doorstep. So what better time than to start talking predictions? What's going to happen this year? Who's going to make it to the promised land? Who's going to lift up the Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the year? Who knows? I certainly don't, but that's not going to stop me from making my predictions. So we're going to start off in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to take you through who I think is going to dominate in the East. So let's start with the teams that I think are going to reign supreme in the East next year. The top tier teams, we're looking at 50, 60 wins and certainly an Eastern Conference playoff showdown in the Eastern Conference finals between these two teams. No particular prizes for guessing who I'm about to say. Milwaukee and Philadelphia, I have as my number one and number two seed. I'm going to start out with the Bucks because, in all honesty, I think they are most likely to retain their crown this year. I know Philly's made a couple of big moves. I just don't think that Philadelphia has taken enough of a step forward to snatch the crown off Milwaukee's head just yet. Um, so I am sticking with the Bucks to reign supreme in the East. All right, so Milwaukee, last season, best team in the league, MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. The roster hasn't changed that much. They haven't made a massive leap forward. But I don't think Milwaukee have taken a giant step back either. I know they've lost Malcolm Brogdon, which is particularly painful because Brogdon was a hyper-efficient scorer. One of the few players in league history to join the 50-40-90 club, shooting 50% from the field, 40% from three and 90% from the free throw line. That is some fantastic efficiency. And losing him at the shooting guard spot is going to hurt. They've picked up uh, Wesley Matthews, who is a nice addition. Doesn't quite make up for Malcolm Brogdon's level of production, but does go some way to ease the pain of that particular loss. They've also added Kyle Korver, uh, who is... A veteran three-point shooter, emphasis on the veteran. I think he is turning 38 this season. Um, good old Kyle Korver. Those are some nice additions, but you know the, the core pieces of this team 
are still in place. You still have the Greek freak at the power forward position, Brooke Lopez, the big man who's able to space the floor, Chris Middleton, the sharp shooter, and Eric Bledsoe, who's hopefully going to give you a little bit of uh, strength and playmaking at the point guard position. So I'm still looking at this team. I'm still looking at this team as, you know, the, the major constituent parts are still there. So I'm not imagining that there's going to be much of a fall off uh, when it comes to Milwaukee. And hell, to be honest, I'm looking at Giannis and I'm thinking this guy is still young. He's still 24 years old coming off the back of an MVP season. And what I'm going to expect to see is a renewed sense of purpose. Because what we saw from Giannis in the Eastern Conference Finals when the Bucks got bounced from Toronto, what we saw was a young guy on the up who has flaws in his game that were mercilessly exposed by the Toronto defense. You know, he struggled a lot against a Toronto scheme that just threw two, three, sometimes four defenders at him. And he really struggled to pass out of that double team. He didn't have a consistent three-point shot at all. Um, So when he wasn't able to pass out of those double teams and wasn't able to really finish around the basket, the other dimensions to his game didn't really kick in. And that definitely contributed to Milwaukee not being able to get past the Raptors last year. But this guy is still a top-tier player. And him having gone on that very deep playoff run, in addition to his stint at the FIBA World Cup with Greece this year, I'm expecting Giannis to come back with a bit more experience, a bit more fire, a bit more in the intangible department. And that will boost Milwaukee quite a bit. And listen, last year, the Bucks obviously were a very good uh, offensive team. But they were also one of the best defensive teams in the league. They were second in defensive rating. And a lot of that just has to do with the fact that they're so damn lanky. You have players in almost every position who are strong, long and athletic. So, you know, that's going to continue this year. Um, Mike Budenholzer contributed a lot to uh, those Atlanta Hawks teams early in the decade who also built their success off the back of stifling defense. Uh, he has Milwaukee playing some really tight rotations. They're they're really good when it comes to playing on that side of the ball and I can't see that changing that much this year. So that's Milwaukee who I've got a number, number one. And more interestingly, we have Philadelphia who... They have a roster that has undergone a little bit more of a seismic shift. The headline point is the departure of Jimmy Butler and free agency who's landed in Miami and the addition of Al Horford to add to what is quite possibly the best defensive frontcourt combination in the league. You know, Al Horford was a big part of why the Boston Celtics were so successful last year on the defensive end of the floor. They were a top 10 defense. And Philadelphia have got to be grateful for the fact that 
one of the few players in the conference that could actually legitimately match up against Joel Embiid is now on their end of the, you know, is now on their bench. Obviously, losing Jimmy Butler and his scoring ability, that's a gap that needs to be filled. And it's not an easy gap to fill either. Because Jimmy, he played quite a key role in that he was Philadelphia's go-to scorer in the dying minutes of close games, particularly in the playoffs. And that is a role that will likely need to be filled in a little bit more by Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. But one of the potential side effects of Butler leaving the team early on in last season, there was talk of dissension in the locker room because Jimmy Butler wanted more touches on the offensive side of the floor. And when you already have a ball-dominant Ben Simmons and a Joel Embiid who, who obviously is going to want to get his possessions in the post, not to mention Tobias Harris on the wing as well, um, that makes for a very crowded lineup in terms of dishing out scoring opportunities. So perhaps the departure of Butler allows for Ben Simmons and Embiid and Harris to shine a little bit more and might even lead to better locker room chemistry if there are fewer mouths to feed. But that's just me speculating. We'll see how that works out. Of course, I need to mention the fact that JJ Reddick has moved on. That is particularly painful because there are not that many players in the league who have the ability to put pressure on a defense like JJ Reddick can. Uh, when you're talking about moving off the ball, using screens, and just being a dead eye three point shooter, there are probably only a, a handful of other players who could do it like JJ could. They've picked up Josh Richardson, who is definitely an upgrade when it comes to defense. He's a better defender than JJ Reddick than JJ Reddick was, although he's not as as good a shooter. So yeah, look, adding Josh Richardson, I like him as a piece. He performed very well in Miami. He's a great defender, both on the perimeter and at the rim. Like he puts up, you know, like Dwayne Wade-esque numbers uh, in terms of, of blocks and steals. So he's a, a big plus defensively. He's got a decent three-point shot. Obviously, he's no JJ Redick in that regard, but he is like a solid two-way player. And he's a nice piece that fits into this team because when you look at Philadelphia, it's a roster that is, even with the loss of, of Butler and Redick, it is still a, a, a roster that is stacked with talent. You've got the front court monster in Joel Embiid. You've got a big man in Al, Al Horford, who is one of the smartest defenders in the league and is also able to stretch the floor with his shooting. You've got a nice two-way player in Josh Richardson. You've got a, a dead, you know, you've got a, a good scorer in Tobias Harris. You have an elite playmaker in Ben Simmons. That to me is a range of offensive and defensive talent that can, I think, pose a real danger to Milwaukee and I think definitely has a chance, uh, more than a chance really, to, to take the Eastern Conference and maybe even take it all. Like I'm, I'm liking the look at this Philadelphia team 
They're definitely going to give Milwaukee a run for their money. But I'm just not convinced that they're there just yet. Hey, maybe the deciding factor will be uh, Ben Simmons. Uh, apparently, he's been working on his three-point shot during the offseason. Now, I'll believe that he can hit them when I see it. But, you know, it might be a factor. You never know. So, yeah, that rounds out the top tier uh, in the East. Philadelphia and Milwaukee are going to be battling out for that top spot. I've got Milwaukee taking number one and, and Philly not far behind them. But it is a close run thing. Let me know, obviously, on social media if you disagree. So that brings us on to tier two. So these teams are going to fill out the middle of the conference. I don't think they're going to be challenging for a top spot, barring them exceeding expectations. But I do think these teams are a lock to make the playoffs injury permitting, obviously. There always is an element of luck when it comes to health and well-being for some teams more than others. You're looking at the sort of middle of the pack, I've got I've got Boston. We're even with the replacement of Kyrie Irving with Kemba Walker. I've got Boston definitely sort of making the playoffs and sort of stuck in that middle tier. I've got Brooklyn minus KD, who is unlikely to return at all next season. I've got Indiana, who is for the first chunk of the season. I would have this team a bit higher, but for the first chunk of the season, they're going to be missing Victor Oladipo. Um, so. I've probably got them near the bottom of this tier. And then I've got Toronto, who, despite losing uh, the best player in the Eastern Conference last year, still has a bevy of really good talent. So I'm not ready to write them off just yet. But those are the teams I've got filling out the middle, really. If we start with the Boston Celtics, uh, the Boston Celtics, to me, are a very intriguing team because it's a team that had so much promise, so much promise. It's one that lost Kyrie Irving and a Gordon Hayward to injury, but still managed to make it to the cusp of the NBA finals in that 2017-2018 season when they fell to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Breakout performances from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who was uh, still young, promising stars, who kind of buckled under the locker room drama that Kyrie brought to Boston. A team that really should have been seriously challenging to make it to the NBA Finals, but blew up in spectacular fashion against the Milwaukee Bucks. This is a team who, despite having lost one of the most talented players in the league, I think is still a team with some promise, but they've definitely taken a step back in terms of the overall level of talent on their roster. The main departure, obviously, Kyrie Irving losing his level of shot-creating ability and his uh, ability to score is difficult. You know, nobody's going to pretend that you can bounce back from a loss like that so easily and the loss of Al Horford again is a real game changer 
given that he was the anchor of that Celtics defense. And they were seventh in defensive rating last year. So they were really good on that end of the ball. Um, And the replacements for Kyrie and Horford in Kemba Walker, who is a straight baller, but not quite on the level of Kyrie Irving. And uh, Enes Kanter, again, a talented scorer of a big man, strong rebounder, but just not, he doesn't offer anywhere near the defensive presence that Al Horford did. So you're looking at a Celtics team that still has talented pieces. Uh, Jason Tatum looking like a very promising, uh, very talented scorer. The only problem is the shot selection isn't always there. And he did regress last year. You're hoping that Gordon Hayward can look a little bit more like his pre-injury self this season. But listen, this roster still has some some decent uh, defensive talent. I like Jalen Brown especially. Um, He put in, I think, a good showing on the defensive end of the floor when he was playing for Team USA this summer. That kid works really hard and he's a really smart on the defensive end of the ball, even though I think his offensive game is a little bit rough. You know, I, I do think that this Boston team, there is a question mark over just how good they're going to be. I think if you're a Celtics fan, you're probably looking at the Team USA performance with some level of disappointment given the amount of Celtics representation there was on that roster so for me I'm not terribly high on the Celtics I think we're probably looking at a number four seed depending on just how good the Nets turn out to be to be honest like uh, I think if I had to give my number three seed to somebody it'd probably be the Nets over Boston but Listen, we'll see just how much of a drop-off they experience in offensive efficiency without Kyrie Irving. It might be that they experience a bit of addition by subtraction in that the sort of cloud hanging over them off the court is no longer there. And I listen, I might be overdoing the level of uh, tension that was felt in that locker room, but it definitely did get bad, particularly towards the end of the season. So perhaps there'll be a sense of relief and maybe that will propel them forward. Uh, speaking of Brooklyn, how about that for an event field off season? The addition of Kevin Durant, And Kyrie Irving in a single offseason. That's quite something. Next year, uh, Brooklyn will be poised to destroy the entire league. Maybe. Who knows? Um, Depending on whether KD comes back as 100% his former self. That's always a little bit of a question mark with... I believe it's an Achilles injury that, you know, those are serious ailments and have left many a player, um, not necessarily as athletic as they once were, but even if you get 70, 75% of the old KD, like this is going to be a seriously dangerous team. But that's not the question that I'm here to answer at the moment. I'm here to say, how good are the Nets going to be in the 2019 season without KD, uh, with Kyrie Irving leading the front line? Now, look, this was a team that 
overperformed really uh, last season, managing to make their way into the playoffs off the back of a strong campaign from D'Angelo Russell, who earned himself an all-star berth last year. Taking Russell and replacing him with Irving is an obvious upgrade and should reduce the level of scoring burden on the remainder of the team. When you look at the other talent that the Nets have, they do have some very attractive looking pieces. Joe Harris, who were had the single best three-point percentage uh, in the league last year. Uh, Karis Levert, who played fantastically uh, for certain stretches, looked at like an all-star for for at, you know, you know for, for certain stretches of, of last season, wasn't able to keep it up consistently. There were issues with injuries here and there, but he's a t- very talented player. You've got the most intriguing addition in my mind is Tory and Prince because you know this guy's a, a, a again like still a young guy um still under 25 but he's a really talented 3 and D guy versatile good shooter and so he adds a fair bit of depth to the the Nets roster as well I haven't mentioned DeAndre Jordan I'm not sure how much he has left in the tank but in terms of um, being an alley-oop target for Kyrie Irving for short stretches of time. And, you know, just being a positive effect in the the locker room, you would have thought. It, it seems as though Jordan, Irving and KD are genuinely pretty good friends. And it is easy to overlook the importance of that uh, when it comes to sort of team chemistry. I think the point that is most attractive about the Nets is just how far they've come as an organization. Uh, Sean Marks, the general manager, has done a very good job with, at times, very limited talent. The turnaround of the Nets has been pretty fast. They've managed to come from a basement dwelling team to a playoff contender in about two or three years or so. So this is looking like a very well-run organization that's had an infusion of star talent. And they were already building off of a solid base, having made the playoffs last year. They won 42 games, I believe it was. So Kyrie's got to be good for another three or four. You know, another three or four at least, I would I would have thought. So I'm looking at the Nets as sort of number number four, number three pick, in in my opinion. But look, that they're, they're unproven. They're unproven. So obviously, given Kyrie's talent, he would be the offensive focal point of this team. Given what happened in Boston, I would have thought that he would have added motivation to make sure that this works and that, you know, the team is able to have some success with him as the de facto leader. Um, So listen, we'll see how that all plays out. But like, I'm pretty high on the upside when it comes to the Nets. Now we come to the Toronto Raptors and this is the one team I had real difficulty ranking because yes, of course, Leonard's departure leaves some very big shoes to fill, but I certainly wasn't ready to to write this team off just yet because 
it is still a roster that's packed with, with talent and versatility. Kyle Lowry, I don't really need to say much about him. Fantastic playmaking, point guard who does all of the little things, backed up by Fred Van Vliet, who really proved himself not only to be a clutch three-point maker, but also just a pest on defense as well. When you add in the return, hopefully, of OG Ananobi, who you hope will come in and, and, and be able to add some length and versatility to this team. Uh, when you look at Pascal Siakam, when you look at Marc Gasol, and when you look at just how well-drilled the this Raptors team was under Nick Nurse, I think defensively, they're still going to be a force to be reckoned with, and that counts for a lot. Uh, even though I, I, they, they aren't going to be as good offensively, I wouldn't have thought. Um, but if they can keep their position as a top 10 defensive team, which they were last year, and still ha- maintain a decent offense, this team should make the playoffs. This team should make the playoffs. And, you know, I'm, I've got them around about the fourth, fifth seed. And they this team could surprise a lot of people. You, you, you never know. I think continuity and chemistry count for a lot in this league. And you have a very good coach who's taken his team all the way to an NBA championship. And that experience has got to count for a lot. Unlike other championship teams where you come back and perhaps some of the motivation has been dulled because you've done it all already. I would have thought that this is a roster that is filled with players who want to prove themselves now that a lot of people out there will be writing them off because they no longer have the superstar Kawhi Leonard. All right, now, and then to round out the middle of the pack, I've got the Indiana Pacers. Now, Indiana last season, looking like they were going to do very big things. Victor Oladipo playing like an absolute monster before he went down with that you know, really terrible injury. This year, the addition of Malcolm Brogdon, I think, makes this team look interesting. The combination of Brogdon and Oladipo in the backcourt, you know, that's one of the better backcourts in the in the conference, I think. You have Domantas Sabonis at power forward, who, again, brings the ability to stretch the floor. Miles Turner, of course, who can also hit a three-pointer here and there, but is mainly just the force defensively blocking every shot he can find. This was a team that really imposed themselves on the defensive end of the floor. They were sort of mediocre offensively, and that's understandable given Oladipo went down in the middle of the season. Um, They lost Thaddeus Young in the offseason, which is unfortunate from a defensive standpoint. Thaddeus Young, um, great defender, solid veteran presence. Losing Bojan Bogdanovic is is a blow as well. Fantastic three-point shooter that guy is. So again, they've lost one of their main perimeter threats from three which isn't great given that the team wasn't a fantastic offensive team to begin with. But with the addition of Brogdon, you sort of hope that Oladipo will be back and firing on all cylinders by about the time of the All-Star break. This is a team, 
I think is going to be in the playoffs. I, I don't have Indiana missing the playoffs this year. I also don't have them. I can't see them much higher than the fifth seed. I'm not that high on them. So they've lost a bit of key talent and one of their core stars isn't going to is going to miss like a decent portion of the season. So it's a shame because this Indiana team, I think, has a lot of potential, but we're just going to have to see how Oladipo is looking mid-season. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that brings me to the other end of the playoff picture. These are the teams that I think are going to be duking it out around March, April, fighting for the last two or three playoff positions. The first of which is uh, Miami. Uh, now, Miami last year just missed out on a playoff spot. A very, very you know, sort of grit and grind, tough defensive team who were awful on the offensive end of the floor. They just didn't have like a key go-to scorer. And besides, last season was more of a goodbye to Dwayne Wade than anything else, really. I think making the playoffs would have been a bit of a bonus for them. But um, now that is out of the way, the Heat can focus on the future. And what a better way to do that than to nab a star in the offseason. So the addition of Jimmy Butler will be a spark plug for this ailing Miami Heat offense. He'll give them a major boost on that end of the floor. Not to mention his defensive tenacity as well. Butler being one of the premier two-way players in the league. But this Miami Heat roster, you know, it's there have been some losses as well. Um, Josh Richardson, who, you know, I mentioned heading over to Philadelphia. A solid player on the defensive end of the floor. Um, so losing Josh Richardson is going to hurt a little bit. Um, Hassan Whiteside, who played really well in the year before his contract extension. And then surprise, surprise, uh, fell off after receiving all of that money. Um, so, you know, Whiteside leaving Miami. Uh, and he's, I think, is off to, to Portland. Um, but losing Hassan Whiteside... I think uh, for the Heat, he wasn't particularly uh, the player he was a couple of years ago. And that hopefully should open up the floor for Bam Adebayo to step up and develop as a player. Now, if you haven't seen Bam play, you know, this guy, I think, is one of the most promising big men in terms of his ability to defend both at the rim and on, you know, at the perimeter as well. Very athletic. Uh, fantastic short blocking ability, very quick on his feet. And, you know, in today's switch heavy defensive schemes, like having a big man like that who can defend as well as he can, uh, fantastic. The rest of the roster, though, there's not there's not a lot to be excited about when it comes to this Miami Heat team. I'm going to level with you. Tyler Hero, is it Hero or Hero? Lit it up. In uh, this year's summer league, had Twitter a buzz for a bit. So he might come in and give forward an effective rookie campaign, which will be very helpful for the Heat. But I don't know what to make of this roster because 
The acquisition of Jimmy Butler is very much a win-now move. But this is not a win-now roster. This is a this is a wait-and-see, let-the-young-guns-develop roster. And I don't know if that's going to be enough to keep Butler around. Perhaps the thought is at some point in the middle of the season, the Heat are going to make a trade for a second superstar. And, the, you know, the the name that keeps being floated around is Chris Paul. Now, does the combination of Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler, does that bring you over the hump in a way that takes you to the top of the Eastern Conference? I'm not convinced that it does. As talented as Chris Paul is, he did take a bit of a step back last year. And while I think that would make Miami Heat a much better team, I I think that probably would put them sort of in that middle tier of teams that I just discussed. I, I That, to me, isn't an addition that sort of puts you over the edge in terms of challenging for a chip. As good as Jimmy Butler is, I don't think he is. Well, he's, he just isn't. He's not the transcendent offensive talent that James Harden was. And the pieces outside of Butler and Paul do not equal the pieces that uh, Harden and Paul had in Houston. So... Listen, I'm I'm not looking, and with the greatest of respect to um, Goran Dragic and Dion Waiters, I like them both as players. Are they key contributing pieces to a contending team? No. So, um, you know, that's my prognosis on Miami Heat. They've got a couple of players that I think are going to develop into, you know, really good NBA players, but. I don't see this team making a massive splash in the offseason. I just don't think I see the ceiling for this team as being any higher than the sort of sixth seed as they're currently constituted. All right, continuing. Um, at the bottom of the playoff picture, we've got the Orlando Magic who snuck their way into the playoffs last year. Uh, took it to Toronto in a really memorable game one, stealing the the victory off the back of a, a clutch shot by DJ Augustine. The Orlando Magic continue a trend of uh, really limited offensive teams who manage to make up for their those limitations on the defensive end of the floor, which I guess just goes to show that you can overcome uh, sort of limited offensive talent with some good old-fashioned grit and grind. So Orlando, led by Steve Clifford at the coaching position, really got the best out of this roster with a solid defensive scheme. Nikola Vucevic really stepped up his game this year, earned a spot on the all-star roster, uh, hitting uh, the 20 and 12 mark and the ability to stretch the floor from the three-point line. So I think he will be a centerpiece of this Magic roster, as well as the focal point of the offense. Aaron Gordon made big steps last year as well, and he's starting to look like a a really good uh, two-way player, able to get it done on both the offensive and defensive end of the floor. Although he didn't have the best of playoff series against uh, Toronto in the first round. Al Farouk Camino joins the roster. And again, bringing more defensive versatility. He's an athletic wing player. 
Um, although it does mean that Orlando now have a bit of an unbalanced roster because at the forward spots you've got uh, Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, Ruch, I guess who you can you can play a bit of center and Alfaru Kaminu. So that that's a bit of a logjam at those two positions. The point guard spot is still of a bit of a question mark as well. Um, the trio of DJ Augustine, Michael Carter Williams, and Markel Fultz. That's an interesting combination of pieces of that position. Uh, Markel Fultz, maybe could this could be the year where he breaks out and you know surprises everybody and bounces back from um, the rocky start to put it mildly the rocky start that he's had to his career so listen he might prove me wrong but that that is a hodgepodge of talent at the point guard position and listen a bit of a sideways uh sort of sideways move maybe getting slightly better with the addition of Alfaro Camino but otherwise this is an Orlando team which really hasn't moved that much I think that the going on that little playoff run uh, would have been beneficial to the fans and it's good for the young guys on this roster to to sort of get that playoff experience. But I'm not seeing the Orlando Magic moving forward that much this year. Can they snag a playoff spot? Well, I think that will depend on whether, you know, actually how far can Detroit get? How healthy are those bodies? How much of a boost is Jimmy Butler to the Heat? Because the Heat have gotten better, but Orlando hasn't really. So I'm definitely not putting them in as in as a lock to make the playoffs. Um, we'll see whether Vucevic can continue his all-star level play and whether Aaron Gordon can take another step forward. Um, but Orlando really kind of spun their wheels at, uh, at the end of the year. Like I'm, I'm not opening up the start of this season as somebody who's super high on Orlando so we'll see what happens but um you know if 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 they manage to make the playoffs I think they should count that as a win let's put it that way all right Detroit basketball the Detroit Pistons round out my I don't want to call it bottom tier uh because that sounds harsh doesn't it bottom tier of the Eastern Conference that that just sounds harsh like to round out the playoff hunt, I guess, uh, the Detroit Pistons. And really, I'm, I'm sure there are going to be quite a few people who want to make the, the case for Detroit being a lot higher. They do have a, a genuine star in the form of Blake Griffin. You've got Reggie Jackson, a bona fide scorer and, and good second option. You have the renaissance of Derek Rose, which honestly was one of the better storylines, one of the best storylines really of uh, last season. I mean, who who wasn't emotional at the sight of, of Derek Rose, you know, crying after scoring 50 points for the Timberwolves? Didn't you just love that? You must have loved that, man. Like if, if, if you didn't watch that game and, you know, feel something stirring in your heart, then I don't know what to say to you, man. Like, um, Derek Rose might come back and, you know, be a bona fide starter in this league. And, you know, that's fantastic. But after hearing those three names, Derek Rose, Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson, the one thing 
that you guys are going to scream at me, the obvious thing is, well, can these guys stay healthy? And that's really the long and short of it when it comes to Detroit. Blake Griffin last year played fantastically, the best scoring season of his entire career, and remarkably shot like a very respectable uh, percentage from the three-point range. So he's developed like a consistent three-point shot. Um, obviously not 100% the athlete he was when he was younger, but, you know, man can still get up there and 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 man can still score in bunches. So he's going to be dangerous next year. Derek Rose also added like a solid three-point stroke to his game. Um, and I think if he can if he can stay healthy, he can be a decent sort of facilitator for this offense as well. Excitingly, the Detroit Pistons have added Joe Johnson, um, who offers uh, one of my favorite phrases, offers veteran presence and, you know, some good three point shooting. We'll see just how much he has left in the tank. Maybe can play a bit of a sort of Paul Pierce, Vince Carter at the end of their careers type role. Just come off the bench, hit a couple of three pointers, go back to the bench, you know, that kind of thing. You know, hopefully they get more of the sort of the Utah, ver- you know, Utah 2017 version of Joe Johnson because that guy was on fire and that was just a couple of years ago. So, you know, Detroit fans are definitely hoping that Johnson still has some NBA level talent to offer. Andre Drummond, how could how could I forget him? I think Drummond has a legitimate case to make as being one of the better big men in the Eastern Conference. So listen, this is a team that there's some serious talent on this team. Uh, and they are firmly in the playoff picture. I know I have them a bit low here. Uh, I don't necessarily think that Detroit are going to languish in the eighth seed or anything like that, but it's just a question of health. Like how how lucky or unlucky is this team going to be? And can they keep their key pieces on the floor long enough to string together like a good run uh, when you're sort of coming down to the back end of the season? Detroit, I think could even land themselves in, in the middle of the pack. You know, if if Blake has a good enough year, if Reggie has a good enough year, we might be seeing Detroit in the fifth seed, possibly. But I, I do have them, if I had to choose between Detroit and Orlando making the playoffs, I'd, I'd definitely lean towards Detroit at this stage. So that rounds off my Eastern Conference playoff picture. The Dark Horse... The one team that I think people should keep their eyes on, the one obvious team I think people should keep their eyes on, if not for this season, definitely for the next couple, the Atlanta Hawks. This team is just, it's just brimming with like like young guys who are promising. Everybody knows about Trey Young. That guy is a ridiculous passer, fantastic facilitator, a bit of a minus on defense, but you know, some of the greatest players of all time. That was true of as well. So yeah, Trey Young looking fantastic. I love the addition of DeAndre Hunter. I covered him in the episode I did on the NBA draft in episode two. So go check that out if you haven't already. Hunter uh, won the NCAA championship last year with Virginia. And he's going to be, I think, a really good 3 and D player. He's really smart uh, on defense, moves his feet, gets into position He's sort of really long and versatile. You know, he, he's not like a, a jump out of the gym level athlete, but he's quick enough to stay in front of most players. 
Um, he's got a solid three-point stroke as well. Like he's not going to be, I think he's he's more of a Danny Green type. Like he's not going to be somebody who's going to create his own shot and do anything amazing in terms of his dribbling ability. But he's definitely a solid piece um, if you surround him with the right level of talent. And having him and Cam Reddish, who was the third star on that Duke team behind RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson. He didn't play that well when he was at Duke, actually. Reddish didn't play that well when he was at Duke, which is why Atlanta were able to pick him up at number 10. Uh, both Reddish and Hunter will be on the end of those Trey Young dimes. So that will be exciting to see, even if it doesn't necessarily lead to many wins this season. They've also added Jabari Parker, and that will be a boost to the offense as well. You know, Parker's had an up or down career in terms of, of, of his stock value, but he did score 20 points a game when he was at Milwaukee. Like, he's a really good finisher in transition. He's a strong guy, and he's, you know, he's got good speed and good ball handles for, for a guy of his size. So he's a definite uh, bonus on that end. Uh, John Collins, underrated player, really doesn't get enough attention, um, was, was over, overshadowed by other players in his draft. But, you know, he was close to 20 and 10 and he's still really young. Uh, sorry, he was close to 20 points and 10 rebounds last year. He's still really young. Um, and if he can manage to take a step or two forward, that will be a massive boost. So this is a team which is going to be one to watch for the next couple of years. Do I think they're going to snag the eighth seed? No. I think it depends on how much of a step forward Trey Young can take and how much contribution you get from Hunter and Reddish in their rookie seasons. I think asking them to propel the Hawks to a playoff seed is probably asking a little bit too much at this stage of their careers. But listen, this will be a fun team to watch, so watch them. So yeah, that is my that is my breakdown of the Eastern Conference Finals for the 2020 season. If you put a gun to my head and asked me to rank these teams... It would go Milwaukee number one, uh, the 76 is number two. I've got the Nets at number three, followed by uh, Celtics at number four, uh, Raptors at number five. You might switch them depending on how good Kemba Walker is going to be. Um, so that's four and five. Number six, you've got Indiana. Seven, you've got Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. And then Detroit, for me, takes that final spot um, with Orlando left out in the lurch. Atlanta, uh, potential dark horses. And, I, you know, that's before I even mentioned uh, the Chicago Bulls and the New York Knicks. Uh, the Bulls with Laurie Markkinen, very intriguing player. Don't think there is enough on that roster to really make a serious run at the playoffs. New York Knicks as well, man, that team... I just, I don't know, man. Like, again, it's 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 not like there's no talent on that roster. It's just, is there enough, really, for them to make a serious run of it? No. And the Knicks have been, you know, a hot mess of uh, dysfunction for the past decade, two decades. I don't see that changing this season, to be honest. But yeah, those are, those are my picks. Uh, I've got Milwaukee 
ruling the East this year. And I honestly think that, you know, they'll come out and uh, take the Eastern Conference crown. It'll be a close run thing between Philly and, and, and the Bucks, I think. Um, but the Eastern Conference is looking interesting this year, man. I think it's looking competitive. There's there's a lot of clumping in, in the middle uh, seeding. The Nets are a massive unknown. I have no idea how good they are going to be. I don't think anybody really knows how good they're going to be. And a lot could change depending on injuries. And of, of course, you always have to say that. An injury or two here and, and depending on whether guys like Oladipo can come back to full strength, a lot of that throws these rankings up in the air. Um, but hey, that's why predictions are fun, right? Like I might be right and I might be wrong. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Either way, keep the conversation going. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram using the handles at Half Court Hustle. Been a pleasure talking to you, but until next time, see you later.